we thank God for his goodness. I want to I want to say thank you to the Tree of Life Church for the deep love and outpouring of support that you have demonstrated to the family of Bishop and Sister Buller in this time of his ailment and now in his passing. What an amazing person. And I will tell you, I will tell you this, we, we just simply would not be here today without his ministry. And we wouldn't have this. I know this is God's church and God is in charge, but God has vessels that he appoints for specific times and seasons. And Bishop Buller was obedient to the call of God. And he and Sister Buller sacrificed. Really, there's just no way to, to truly tell the story of how they sacrificed through the years to see to it that this church could thrive and move forward into the future. And we are the better for it. And only eternity will tell for the many people that will come to God even yet from the result of that sacrifice. And uh, you have demonstrated such beautiful Christian love to them. And I want to encourage you to continue to do so. Sister Buller is going to need our support. And uh, her family is going to need our support. Sister Kim and all the grandchildren and Brother John and we love this family dearly. And uh, we're, we're going to do our part to carry the message forward. Amen. We're going to do our part to carry the message forward. <laughs> Praise God. And uh, I thank you for your endurance. We are in the middle of an amazing season. And uh, you all, how many have your shoulder to the plow? I need, I need to see a few more hands. Hey Amen. How many got your shoulder to the plow? And, and the next question is, and the, we don't want to see any hands here, who's looking back? We're not looking back. If we look back, we're not fit for the kingdom. But we've got a shoulder to the plow, and we're doing a work for the Lord, and God is on the throne. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I want to say I want to say a very special happy birthday to Brother Enos today. Glory to God. Amen. We love him and Sister Enos. Amen. And we thank God for them. And he's celebrating. I think it's your 23rd birthday today. I think that's what that was. That's right. Amen. We love them, and we're so thankful for all that God is doing. And uh, please uh, remember the families that are in need of prayer right now. Of course, the Andrews family, the Morales family, these needs remain at the forefront of our prayer and uh, continue to do that. And we're going to be praying for the Holston family. God bless this wonderful family that we love so much. And, uh, and we, uh, we serve a, a wonderful God who keeps us in our time of sorrow. Reading from 1 Samuel chapter 5 this evening, and I want to just turn your attention there before we go to the message. 1 Samuel chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading at the first verse. The Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. 
And when they of Ashdod arose early on the morrow, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon and set him in his place again. And when they arose early on the morrow morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any that come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod unto this day. And I want to speak to you for just a few moments on the subject, the ark of God and the stump of Dagon. The ark of God and the stump of Dagon. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer, shall we? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gathering of your people. And I pray today that you would allow your word to have free course. Let there be an anointing upon the teaching and preaching of your word. Help us, I pray in Jesus' name, to understand it, to receive it, to live according to it. In the precious name of the Lord Jesus, we ask these things. Fervently, we ask these things. In Jesus' precious name, we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. This riveting account in the scriptures gives us a little insight into the momentous occurrences of the day. The fact that the ark of God was not in its proper placement. What were the Philistines doing with the ark of God? What business did the people of this heathen land have with such a sacred piece of furniture that had been ordered of the Lord. You really have to go back and look at the, the history of how that ark came into existence. These were express directions from the Lord to create this ark. It was a work of acacia wood. And the acacia wood was to be overlaid with gold. Here in this one statement, acacia wood overlaid with gold, we, we see the, both the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ. The wood being that which is humanity, gold being that which represents deity. Throughout the tabernacle plan of God, you see various instances where there is wood accompanied by precious stones, precious metals for covering, for coating. And you see this reality that God was manifest in the flesh and that he was 100% God, 100% man. And you see this in the Ark of the Covenant. And there was so much symbolism, of course, upon this Ark the, the, the covering of the ark that, that, that covered the ark, it was uh, overshadowed by cherubims. And these cherubims were made of gold and they were facing one another. And there, of course, their wings were touching. And between them was the mercy seat. This mercy seat on the Day of Atonement would have blood sprinkled upon it. The blood of the animal sacrifice. 
This, of course, representing the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And when he shed his precious blood upon Calvary's cross, there was no more need for the day of atonement, for the day of atonement had fully come. And it was such a, an amazing thing. And the, the Bible refers to it as him entering once into the holy place. Hallelujah. And he came into that holy place and he did what the blood of goats could not do. What the blood of the lambs could not do. But his blood, precious blood, the perpetual sin offering. Praise God. The perfect high priest went into the holiest of all places. And he achieved what no man could achieve. Every man had some sort of preventative reality associated with his nature. He did his best to be as flawless as he could be, the priests of the Old Testament. But, but we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Hallelujah. He is the perfect high priest. And he was the perfect sacrifice. And he was the perfect substitute. Praise God. And he entered into the heavenlies on our behalf. Hallelujah. And he washes our sins away. That is what the ark represented. And even in its symbolism, in that old covenant fashion, the symbolism itself carried with it such extraordinary power. And, and the, the children of Israel would carry that ark with them into battle. And they, the, the, the ark of, of God was something that, that they had grown so accustomed to and they had grown so familiar with. And it was almost like a magic bullet, if you please, to many of them. As they, they felt like as long as they had that ark, then all would be well. And you have to be careful when you're dealing with symbolism because... You can never let the symbolism replace the substance. Symbolism only points to substance. And, 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 but if you let symbolism replace substance, then, then you will miss out on the point of it all. And that's what Israel continued to be in danger of doing. They would grow, they would grow ever so close to walking away from the point of it all. You know, many people are going to miss the mark simply because they've missed the point. If you don't miss the point, then you're, you have a better chance of hitting the mark. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. But there are many people who miss the point, and, and that, that positions, them, them, positions them then to miss the mark altogether. And Israel was doing this. They, they had this symbol and the symbol became everything to them. To the point that they began to grow complacent about, about what really this ark truly represented and what it truly symbolized. And it became easy to just, just kind of traipse out that ark for every little battle they had and every little miracle they needed. And, and, uh, and it was a powerful uh, instrument that God used, in fact... It is stated in the great moment when the children of Israel walked through the Jordan River on dry ground. When those waters parted hither and thither, the Bible says that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of God. 
They were cut off before the ark of God. They, they were not just simply parted hither and thither. They, they were not just simply cut off before the priests. They were not simply cut off before the people of Israel. They were cut off before the ark of God. The ark of God went down into those waters. The priests didn't go down into those waters empty-handed. They walked down into those waters carrying the symbol of what is to come. The symbol of the mercy of Jesus Christ. The symbol of the blood of the Lamb. The symbol of the covering of His glory. The symbol of all that the ark represented. And it's important to note what all it represented. Let's look here at Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 3. After the second veil, the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold. Wherein, and this is important, because it wasn't just about what was on the outside of the ark, but it also mattered what was on the inside of the ark. Wherein was the golden pot that had manna? Wherein was the rod, Aaron's rod, that budded? Wherein were the tables of the covenant inside that ark of God? Were the golden pot of manna? Let me remind you what that manna was. When the children of Israel were hungry in in an unforgiving wilderness and they had no food and had no access to supply of food, And they longed and yearned for the good groceries of Egypt. And they described the flavors and the seasonings and the produce and the vegetation of Egypt. And and here came manna straight out of heaven. And I know they murmured about it and they complained about it, but I'm going to tell you there wasn't a day that went by while they were out in that wilderness that they hungered because God provided them Daily sustenance, daily nourishment. Hallelujah. You know, manna just simply means what is it? It actually is a question. That, that's what manna is. Manna means what is it? So it, it's what they looked, that's what they said when they looked down upon the ground. And they when they said manna, manna is not wonder bread. Manna is just a question. What is it? They're asking God for food, and they wake up and there's food everywhere. They're looking at it, and they're like, you know, like your toddler. What is it? And it's, they're, go, they're fixing to find out what it was. It was going to be their food for the rest of their 40 years. And, and they received this manna. This manna was, a, this manna was a, a supply from God to them. It was a provision for them. And it was, it was, it was similar to the Word of God because the Bible refers to our daily bread. It was a coriander seed, and, and the Word of God is likened in Jesus' parables to the seed, which is the Word of God. And so this was akin to the Word of God. Do you know that they could not have, they could not store the manna overnight and try to store it and keep it for a multitude of days because it would, it would grow old through the night. And by the time the next day would emerge, they needed new manna. That's the same way it is with the Word of God, friend. You can't live off of old insight. 
Now, don't misunderstand me. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not telling you that you've got to have something new all the time, something flamboyant all the time to feed your soul. But I'm telling you, you have to reacquaint yourself with the timeless truth over and over and over again. You Listen, you can't get a word tonight and expect that to carry you till Sunday. You're going to have to, every day between now and then, you're going to have to reacquaint yourself with the word of the Lord. You're going to have to visit the cross again. You're going to have to visit the empty tomb again. You're going to have to visit the blood. You're going to have to praise him. You're going to have to take a trip through the book of Psalms, through the gospel of Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. You're going to have to go into the general epistles. You're going to have to go into the Pauline epistles, the major prophets and the minor prophets. You've got to have a daily bread from God. Many are weak because they don't have daily bread. They have weekly bread or monthly bread or semi-annual bread. And that's why you're starving. And that's why your soul is starving. And that's why you're filling yourself with so much junk in the world. You're like, you're like the kid that got his hand caught in the cookie jar, got caught reaching in for the junk food. Listen, if you filled yourself with the good bread of life, you wouldn't be hungry for the junk of this world. All of the garbage, all of the, all of the empty calories, all of the stuff that's clogging your arteries, spiritually speaking, all of the stuff that's causing your spiritual high blood pressure and spiritual diabetes, you wouldn't be hungry for those things if you were daily. Hallelujah. Jesus said when you pray, pray like this. Give us this day. Which day? This day. What day? Whatever day you're in. This day. Are you in Monday? Then, then Monday. Are you in Tuesday? Then Tuesday, this day, give us this day our daily bread. Why? Because this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. You've got to have a word for right now. You can't live on what was preached Sunday for the rest of your life. It'll bless you for the rest of your life, but you've got to entertain it over and over. You've got to revisit it over and over. Some folks like to go on Easter Sunday, get them a nice big basket of manna and try to store it somewhere so they can nibble on it all through the year. But that's not how manna works. It's going to have worms in it. It's going to, have, it's, going to, it's going to grow old. And so you've got to have new manna, fresh manna, and that's what the children of Israel found. They found that when they needed something from God, God was going to pour out his provision for them and that was that golden pot of manna was inside the ark of the covenant of God that 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 daily provision of his word was inside the ark of God not only that but the rod that budded Aaron's rod that budded was inside the ark of the covenant Aaron's rod that budded now that was a miracle thing too that was a miracle as well because Aaron's rod that budded separated him from all others who were vying for his post and position. It was, it was to let everybody know that this position, this priestly position of Aaron was, was ordered of the Lord, ordained of God, and he was, he was chosen of God. And there was a favor of God upon his life. And so Aaron didn't even have to work for it. All he had to do was 
bring his rod, and the rod did bud. And, and the challenge with that is it wasn't planted in the ground. The rod is just budding. It's blossoming as though it's connected to something. And here's the reality. When you're anointed and favored of God, you are connected to something that other people cannot see. And other people know nothing about. And that's what Aaron, what God demonstrated in this miracle of Aaron's rod that did bud. And that budding of Aaron's rod, it was inside that ark of the covenant. Not only that, but the tables of the covenant. The tables of the covenant were inside the ark of the covenant. So the tables of the covenant were very important. These two were miraculous. Because God had inscribed upon them his commandments. And of course we know Moses broke the original tablets. Had to go back into the mountain. Go through the process all over again. Bring out these tablets of these tables of the covenant of God. And these tables contained the law of the Lord. And that law had to be read in the ears of the people every year. And... These were inside the Ark of the Covenant. So it wasn't just what was on the outside of the Ark that mattered. It was also what was on the inside of the Ark that mattered. And I want you to know that the Ark of God was not to be messed with. It was not to be tampered with. It was not to be something that you took lightly. One of the most sobering stories in the Old Testament has to do with a man by the name of Uzzah who was... Uh, was audacious enough to reach out his hand and steady the ark of God. The ark of God was being carried by oxen, and they should have been carried by, it, it should have been carried by the priests of the Lord, but instead it was carried by oxen. And as it was being carried by oxen, the oxen shook the cart when they arrived at Nashon's threshing floor. Nashon's threshing floor was a familiar place for those oxen. They knew what they were to do at a threshing floor. And they began to thresh as though they should thresh. And there was no need to thresh. The time for threshing was not then. But they lifted up those strong shoulders and hip bones and began to lift them up and pound the ground. And as they did, that, that, that ark of God began to shake. And it wasn't ideal The priests didn't have it on staves. They should have had priests with staves, but they didn't. They had it on the backs of these oxen. It wasn't ideal, but the glory was in motion. And we have to be careful when the glory is in motion, but it's not in motion just exactly the way we want it to be or even as it should be. We have to be careful that we don't get up and try to manhandle the glory of God. I'm going to tell you something. God is God. And if you forget it, he'll remind you. And this is his church, and if if, if we forget that, he'll remind us. And so we don't, like usual, we don't put our hands up on the glory of God and say, no, it has to be my way or no way. No, we, we let God be God. We let his glory transport the way his glory wants to be and needs to be transported. Yuzo reached out, touched the ark of God, and fell down dead. It was so sobering that it put the fear of God in David. David, it, it, it messed with David. He said, I, I, whoa, whoa, I don't know if anybody can touch that thing. 
I don't know if anybody can. I don't know if I want that thing around. That's a dangerous piece of furniture. This ark was nothing to play with. And here in our text, we're reading where that it's in the hands of the Philistines. What are they doing with this ark of God in their hands? I'll tell you what they're doing. In the house of Eli were two sons by the name of Hophni and Phinehas. And these two sons were supposed to take up the mantle of their father, Eli. They were to take serious the things of God, and they didn't take serious the things of God. They were to be committed to God, and they weren't committed to God. They were to, they were to be diligent about the service of the Lord, and they were not diligent about the service of the Lord. And instead, they wreaked havoc. Instead, they lived how they wanted to live. They made a mockery of the things of God. They had sin in their life. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I know we're living in a culture and even a, in the Christian community. And let me tell you something. There is a difference between the body of Christ and the Christian community. Don't ever forget that. There is a difference between the body of Christ and the Christian community. The Lord didn't say anything about the Christian community. But he talked a lot about being in the body of Christ. But there is a, there is a thought process in the Christian community that it doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter how, whether you're moral or immoral or amoral. It doesn't matter if you have sin in your life. And that is a heresy. That's a lie from the pit. It does matter. List after list after list in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, it describes who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And if you look real careful, you'll find stuff in your life on those lists. If you look real careful, you'll find stuff you struggle with on those lists. I don't say that to condemn you. I say that to wake you up. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. I say that to you so you understand we can't play games with the glory of God. We can't play games with the Ark of the Covenant. We can't play games like Hophni and Phineas and think that we can just live how we want to live and, and nobody calls us to account for it and we can do what we want to do and go where we want to go. No, you better know that, that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth. You better know there is an all-seeing eye of the Lord. You better know that he weighs the hearts of men, that he tries the hearts of men. You better know that he He's a righteous judge. You better know that your manipulation of things will not be able to get you out of the righteous judgment of God. Hophni and Phinehas were just living like absolute debauched fools. And they lived how they wanted to live. And they made a mockery of the things of God. They made a mockery of the house of God. And everything began to demoralize and deteriorate around them. And the temple became a reflection. The, the, the house of God became a reflection of their immoral living. 
They were filled with fornication. They were filled with adultery. If you've got that in your life, you must repent in Jesus' name. They were filled with fornication. They were filled with adultery. They were filled with lasciviousness, lewd living. They were, they were immoral. And, and the things concerning the house of God just were not important anymore. And that's what you'll find. That's what you'll find. The more you feed your flesh, the less the house of God will mean to you. The more that you feed your flesh, the less the things of God will matter to you. You won't even know what's happening. You'll just start to drift away into a world that God once delivered you from. You'll just start to slowly backslide. This is one of the things I wanted to mention last night. I, I, I was with Bishop Buller in, in a funeral setting and he, it was the last that, that he preached uh, that I'm aware of and certainly the last I was with him for. But he, he preached and, and he knew there were several people there who had once served the Lord. And he stood up in that funeral setting and said, Listen, I may be the only person who can talk to you the way I'm about to talk to you. And he began to call the prodigals home. He began to beckon those who were not right with God to a place of repentance and as I sat there and heard that, that elder statesman, that bishop who knew these people, had prayed for these people, had, had baptized many of these people, had seen them serve the Lord once, my heart began to grieve because I thought, I know that his voice will not be on this earth forever. And here we are, another voice less of those that can lift their voice and declare the truth of God. And, and I want you to know, you better thank God every day for people in your life who can call you to a place of repentance. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you something. That's why you've got to thank God for the preacher and you've got to thank God for the role of the pastor because that is a voice that will stand up and put a godly finger in your face not to condemn, but to say as Nathan to David, Thou art the man. There's got to be repentance in your heart. There's got to be a consecration in your spirit. Don't drift into the things of the world. Don't drift into a carnal way of thinking and living. Hophni and Phinehas didn't have that. And Eli was, Eli was in denial and he was blind to it and he wasn't, he wasn't dealing with it and he was willing to ignore it. And, and, and I, don't, I don't believe that Eli was a very spiritual man. I believe he had sincerity, but I don't believe he was very spiritual. And, and there are two reasons. There were two instances where the Bible said Eli perceived, but it was after he had incorrectly judged a thing. And after his incorrect judgment produced no fruit, then he perceived differently. For instance, when Hannah was praying, and she, she was praying so so fervently that there were no words coming from her mouth. She was just lipping, lip sinking, and, and she was so full of desperation for a child. And the first thought he had, and he was convinced she was intoxicated, then he perceived that this was of the Lord. Another time was when Samuel heard the voice of God, and he went to Eli a couple of times, three times to be exact, and 
Finally, on the third time, all three times, Eli was like, no, go to bed. Go back to sleep for crying out loud. It's not me. I just you're, you're hearing things. Go to sleep. Finally, he perceived that Samuel was hearing from the Lord. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. When you operate in a role of authority, you've got to do more than just guess at stuff. I know we're all human, but we have a responsibility to be spiritually in tune with God. You hearing me, moms and dads? Are you hearing me? Don't put this all on the preacher. Don't put this all on the leadership of the church. Are you hearing me, mom and dad? Are you hearing me, child of God? If, if you don't have children in your, under your care and in your home, you've got a responsibility for your own life and for your own spiritual well-being. You must be in tune with God. You can't keep getting it wrong. You can't keep getting it wrong. You can't keep incorrectly assessing a thing. You have to be in tune with the Lord to be able to say, that's of God. Or if something poses to be of God and is not, you're able to say in the conviction of the Holy Ghost and with the guidance of the Word, you're able to say, I've tried the Spirit, whether it be of God, and I judge that that's not of God. You don't, you, you've got to be careful. Believe not every spirit. But try the spirits, whether they be of God. Anchor them to the word of the Lord. You've got to be spiritually minded. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Which do you want? Death or life and peace? So being carnally minded is not, it's not just something you can do because everybody else is doing it. Yeah, everybody else is doing it and they're all dying spiritually. You want life. You want peace. You must be spiritually minded. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hophni and Phineas were not spiritually minded. I don't believe Eli was spiritually minded. I believe Eli was sincere, but I think he was trying to do a lot of things through human effort. And that it was coming up vanity. And, 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 and sadly, the Bible says that the lamp of God went out. During Eli's tenure, the lamp of God, you know, the lamp of God was never to go out. The lamp of God was to remain ablaze. It was to remain aflame. I'm glad you're here tonight. You know what you're doing here tonight? You know what you're doing here tonight? You're putting a little more oil in your lamp. Do you know what you're doing tonight? You're, you're, you're trimming the lamp and you're keeping it burning. That's what the elders used to sing. My great-grandfather, Brother Hobbeck at Calvary Tabernacle. Back in the old days, they had testimony service and, and the elders would stand up and start singing uh, testimonies. And, and the song he would sing was, Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. Give me oil in my lamp, I pray. Give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning, burning, burning. Keep me burning till the break of day. Hallelujah. You've got to keep oil in your lamp. If you don't keep oil in your lamp, you're a foolish virgin. Oh, you might be a virgin. Pure. Holy. You might be a virgin. You can say, I don't commit those kinds of sins. But a foolish virgin still misses the bridegroom's call. You've got to have oil in your lamp. You've got to be prayed up. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. When was the last time you heard that, that phrase, prayed up? 
You know what that means? That means ready to go in the rapture. That means ready to go when the trumpet sounds. You've got to be prayed up. And if you've got a problem, you know what you got to do? You got to pray through. Hallelujah. It's time to be prayed up. It's time to be prayed through. It's time to be right with God. It's time to be spiritually minded. It's time to trim the lamps and keep them burning. Praise God. Sister Buller said today, we know the Lord is coming back. And she said, and for Bishop Buller, he has come back already. And so we, you, we may not know when the trumpet sounds, but none of us know when it will be our time our turn to meet the Lord, and we have to be ready to meet God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I want to be ready to meet God. Hophni Phineas let things go to waste. Eli wasn't dealing with it. And so the lamp of God went out. They went into battle against the Philistines, and tragically, the ark of God was taken by the Philistines. And the Philistines gathered up this ark. Now, folks, I'm just going to stop here and say, we can't allow a world that does not know God to define what is true about God. There are too many people who look to the world. I'm talking about Holy Ghost-filled people, Jesus' name baptized people, who look to the world for their spiritual guidance. And what they're doing is they're giving the ark to the Philistines. The Philistines have the ark. And do you know what the Philistines do with the ark? The Philistines take the ark of God and they set it right next to Dagon. Dagon was their principal deity. Dagon was supposed to be the, the, the father of Baal and, uh, and various, uh, various uh, deities in the pantheon of the Philistines. Dagon was was the chiefest of them all. So, so all that the Philistines knew was this ark, we don't understand it. We just, we think it's mystical. We think it's magical. We think it's powerful. We know that it gives the children of Israel victory. So if we can get it and take it capture, then we can use it for ourselves and we can have the same kind of victory. That's not how this thing works. Simon the sorcerer said, here, give me this power that on whosoever I lay hands, they shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And Peter said, thy money perish with thee. I perceive that thou art in the bond of iniquity and in the gall of bitterness. You don't know how this Holy Ghost works. This Holy Ghost works differently than any kind of power in this world. And every power in this world is subject to the power of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say it again. Every principality and every power is subject to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we mean when we say he is the Lord of lords. And he is the king of kings. Hallelujah. In fact, the Bible even calls God the God of gods. Because it doesn't matter what lowercase G-O-D presents itself, it has no power over the one true and living God who created the heaven and the earth. I'm going to tell you something. 
I'm going to tell you what we have when we have the Holy Ghost. We've got the ark of God. I'm going to tell you what we have when we have the blood of the Lamb. We have the ark of God. I'm going to tell you what we have when we have the mercy of the Lord. We have the ark of God. I'm going to tell you what we have when we have the moving of His Spirit and glory. We have the ark of God. Don't you let anybody take that from you. Don't you let any bitter experience pry that from your hands. That's something God gave you on a holy mountain tucked away in a place of prayer. You better hold on to what God has given you. Buy the truth and sell it not. You better burn that lamp, Hophni and Phineas, and you better repent, Hophni and Phineas. You better stop fornicating, stop being an idolater. You gotta stop reveling, you gotta stop drinking, you've gotta stop living a life of a carnal, wicked individual. Or the ark of God is gonna be taken from your grasp. And when it is, he's just gonna set it in front of Dagon or beside Dagon, not in front, beside. Because that's how they view it. They don't view it like you view it. They don't see it like you see it. It's just one power among other powers. They look at the Lord and think that he's a higher power, or maybe he's not. Maybe it's some kind of other higher power. And they have all sorts of explanations. That's how they view it. They just take the ark of God and they set it by self-enlightenment. They set it beside New Age mysticism. They set it beside Muhammad, Allah. They set it beside Buddha. They set it beside whatever God they happen to be serving. The ark of God is not to be equated with any of the gods of the people. God is greater. His name is higher. He is the most high God. And you and I have to start worshiping him again like he's the most high God. And we have to start living for him again like he's the most high God. And we have to start, listen, we have to start fulfilling his great commission again like he's the most high God. And we have to consecrate our life like he's the most high God. Hallelujah. If he's the most high God, live like it. If he's the most high God, worship like it. If he's the most high God, serve him like it. If he's the most high God, pray to him like he's the most high God. Praise God. There the ark of God sat beside Dagon. When they came in that next morning, Dagon was on his face. That was a warning from God. God was letting them know, you're in trouble. But they thought, oh, I guess we had a little tremor or something. Maybe somebody turned the AC on or maybe the laundry washing machine is a little off balance. Yes, I don't know. I don't know why Dagon would have fallen, but he did. He fell. Well, let's get him back up here. They set him back up on his pedestal. And, and the next morning, he falls again. But when he falls this time, it's a little bit different. And it changed Dagon worship forever. They never again crossed, the, the priests of Dagon never again crossed that threshold. Because when he fell this time, he lost his head and he lost his hands.
before the ark of God. And they knew what that meant. They knew this ark is no joke. This glory is no joke. This power is no joke. This blood of the sprinkling, it's no joke. These cherubims that are, their wings are touching, it's no joke. It's not to be played with. It's not to be tampered with. If God has chosen you, don't play with that. Be serious about that. If God has called you out of darkness and placed you in his marvelous light, don't play games with that. Don't you come in and out of church. Don't you, don't you go in and out of this thing like you can take it or leave it or when you're in the mood. No, no, sir, no, ma'am. You're touching the ark and you're trying to study something that you don't fully understand the power of what you're dealing with. I want you to know what a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. You've got to sober up in your walk with God. You've got to sober up in your walk with God. I'm going to tell you that the hands, if, listen, you want to know how to handle the, you want to know how to handle the Dagons of your life? Because we've all got them. Those, those principal players that, that, that kind of sit in the back of our mind. Those things, some of you have victory over it already and maybe others don't. But, but that, that Dagon that sits in the back that tells you that it has a mastery over your emotion. Mastery over the outcome of your life. A mastery over your, your purpose. And it sits there. You know, how to, you know how to bring it down? I'm going to tell you how to bring it down. Put the ark by it. Put the ark by it. Put the blood of the lamb by it. Hallelujah. Put the covering of his glory by it. Put prayer and fasting by it. Put the hype, the work of the high priest by it. Ha, put that golden pot of manna. Hallelujah. In front of that day gone. I'm talking about daily bread. Put daily bread beside it. Glory to God. Put that rod of Aaron that did bud. Put that beside it. Go ahead and put this word every day of your life. In the name of Jesus, every high thing must come down. In the name of Jesus, every imagination must be cast down. In the name of Jesus, every principality must be subdued. You've got to put the word of God beside that thing. Put that golden pot of manna. Hallelujah. That daily provision, that daily bread, that Aaron's rod, that dead bud. You put that beside it, I'm going to tell you, it's going to come down. And when it comes down, it's going to lose its hands and it's going to lose its head. It's going to lose its ability to think, to talk. It's going to lose its ability to see. It's going to lose its ability to lay hold on you ever again. God wants to give you the victory. And the only way he can give you the victory is if you put this ark up against the enemy of your life. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm going to tell you, the ark of the covenant, it is not behind a veil anymore. 
The Ark of the Covenant is not behind a second veil. It's not in some closed-off tabernacle called the holiest of all places. The Ark of the Covenant is in you. When you repent of your sins, are baptized in Jesus' name, and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, the Ark of God is in your heart. It's in your soul. It's in your mind. That Ark represents the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've got Jesus inside of you, there is no devil in hell that has any power over you there is no addiction that has power over you there is no past mistake or failure that has power over you you have victory in Jesus Christ oh I wish somebody could say victory is mine victory is mine I told Satan get thee behind victory is mine victory today I said victory today, not victory next week, not just victory tomorrow. Victory today is mine. Ah, ah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm going to tell you, those principalities are coming down if you believe it in Jesus' name. Come on, lift up your hands with me right now. Lift up your hands with me right now. Hallelujah, lift up your praise unto God right now. Lift up your praise unto God right now. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, God's going to reduce your adversary to a stump. You might, you might still see it. <laughs> Hallelujah, but it's going it's to have no power over you. God is removing its utilitarian capabilities. God is removing its ability to operate in your life. It's losing its head. It's losing its hands. It has no power. He said concerning the, the Egyptians, you shall see their faces no more forever. God's going to wipe it away. God's going to give you power in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I want somebody who knows what I'm preaching and believes it with all their heart to give God praise. Hallelujah. Woo! Hallelujah. Glory. Glory. You want to be at church on Sunday. You want to be at church on Sunday. We're going to have Brother Riley Martin preaching for us. We're going to start off revival. The following Sunday, Brother Chris Green is going to be preaching Sunday through Wednesday. And we're going to have Holy Ghost revival. And I'm believing for miracles, signs, and wonders. I know our world. I know our world is in the middle of great chaos. Our world is in the middle of great uncertainty. But I'm going to tell you where the church is. The church is in a red-hot apostolic Holy Ghost revival. That's where the church is. We don't let the world dictate to us how we're supposed to feel and how we're supposed to be. We're marching on, onward Christian soldiers. We're marching on in victory. We're marching on in faith believing. We're marching on in the glory of the Lord. Hallelujah. And we are not allowing the enemy to take the ark from our hands. The ark belongs to us. God gave it to us. Everything we need is inside that ark. Everything you need is in that Holy Ghost talking in tongues. Now, I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Listen, the Bible gives us so much practical application. So much practical application. The epistles are filled with practical application. But all of it is provided on the premise of the working of God's Spirit. 
And if you, 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 you know better, I'm, you're never going to find me getting up here trying to reason with logical thinking and getting you to somehow wrap your brain around how you can perform a practical application without the guidance of the Holy Ghost. I came not to you with enticing words of man's wisdom, Paul said, but with the demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith would not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And I want us to fast and pray for the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. It's revival time. It's revival time. We are the head and not the tail. We are above, we are not beneath. said we are above and not beneath and I rebuke the spirit of Hophni and Phineas that takes for granted the things of God and I rebuke the attitude of Hophni and Phineas that thinks we can play games with God no sir no ma'am we're here to see a Holy Ghost in time revival we're here to see the sinner saved we're here to see the sick healed we're here to see hallelujah the addicted set free we're here to see the glory of God rise upon the earth we're here to see the kingdom of God go forward in the name of Jesus Christ. I want those who have been delivered by the blood of the Lamb. I, I want you to feel free to come to the front of this house. I want you to feel free to lift up your praise and worship to God. But if you've been delivered by the blood of the Lamb and you want to see other people delivered by the blood of the Lamb, I want you to, I want you to do something. Come forward, do something, and say, God, I'm here. I'm here for what you're about to do. I'm here for what you're doing right now. I'm here as a prayer warrior. I'm here as a believer. I'm here as an evangel of fire. I'm here for the revival. I'm here for the revival. I'm here for Holy Ghost power. I'm here for the infilling, for the indwelling, for the outpouring. Uh, yeah, come on, that's it. You're the body of Jesus Christ. You're the body of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. God has his anointing on each and every one of you in the name of Jesus. Uh -huh. I'm gonna yes. see God has his anointing on each and every one of you.
facing, whatever you're facing, the Lord wants me to tell you this. Pray. Pray. Whatever you're facing. And He's going to give you one of three things. He's either going to give you divine provision, perfect peace, or understanding of purpose. You'll either understand it better, or you'll receive what you need to get through it. Or you'll be content and you won't be able to explain. It'll be a peace that passes understanding. <laughs> In the name of Jesus, that will come through prayer. That will come through prayer. That will come through prayer. It will not come without prayer. 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 <laughs> Hallelujah. This Saturday morning, we have family prayer right here at the Annex. Saturday morning, right here at the Annex. This Saturday morning, first Saturday of the month, we're going to open this revival season, October 3rd and then October 10th through 13th, with prayer. Be with us, family prayer. Let's, let's reach out to God together. Hallelujah. What are you facing? God said pray. And he'll give you provision, he'll give you peace, or he'll give you purpose. In the name of Jesus. Can you lift up your voice unto the Lord one more time? We give you praise, oh God. We thank you, O oh God. We thank you, O oh God. We worship you, O oh Lord. 
You are the king. You are the king of all kings. You are the righteous redeemer. We praise your name, O Lord. We praise your name, O Lord. We praise your holy name, O Lord. We thank you, O God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, you're doing something in us. You're doing something in us, and it's beautiful, Lord. How many feel the Holy Ghost changing you even right now? the Holy Ghost just getting down on the inside. Glory to God. Hallelujah. The ark of God, yeah, the angels look beautiful. They're covered with gold and their wings are touching and there's a mercy scene. There's the blood of the lamb and all of that's wonderful and beautiful. But I want you to know God wants to do something on the inside. He wants to put manna on the inside. He wants to put the rod that buds on the inside. He wants to do something on the inside of each and every one of us. Hallelujah, and he's going to do it. He's going to do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, let's lift up a praise unto the Lord. Hallelujah.